Good evening, everybody. My name is Abby, and welcome to Meet My Monsters! Hello, hi there, ho there, hi, how are you? <laughs> I swear that changes every week. But nonetheless, I'm fine with that. Um, so, if you may or may not have noticed, this week's episode has come to you a little bit later. However, there is reason for that. And that is because tomorrow, or today, because I will be launching it tomorrow, is actually my birthday. So, woohoo! <laughs> so, in order to celebrate my birthday, I decided to... Um, wait from releasing the episode on Sunday and release it on Friday on my actual birthday because this episode is honestly one of my most favorite cryptids it's just insane like this thing is it ticks every single cryptid box a person could think of but anyways before we get into the awesome episode ahead um because it is my birthday tomorrow and it's a big birthday I'm officially heading into the dirty 30s Totally not ready for that, but <laughs> there's nothing I can do about it, apparently. So, anyways, because um, it's my birthday month, I'm going to be focusing this whole month on canine cryptids. Because I'm totally a dog person. I'm a dog lover. No, I'm not a dog lover. That just sounds wrong. I love doggies. <laughs> I'm a proud dog mom. And, um, yeah, it's my birthday month, so whatever. I'm choosing to do canines the whole freaking month, so suck it. <laughs> but anyways, this episode is absolutely incredible. So like I was mentioning, I was talking about this um, earlier about why this is one of my favorite cryptids, because it ticks all the freaking cryptid boxes. I'm not even joking. This episode is literally like The Walking Dead had a baby with American Werewolf in London, and that baby had a baby with a vampire. And then the vampire zombie baby wolf baby was raised in like a voodoo home. Like that is every single level that we're going to be touching on in this episode. And I'm so excited. I'm like literally shaking with anticipation because I'm so excited. So honestly, guys, this is this cryptid is like the thing that I strive for in cryptozoology. It's just you know, the impossible and the inconceivable that get together. And I just absolutely love it. So it really, this kind of stuff gets my engine running like there's no tomorrow because it really gets me excited. And um, the thing that's awesome about this cryptid is that it hails to you once again from my native land of Africa. Like, I'm actually, I'm baffled. But thank God I decided to do the local is lacquer section <laughs> of monsters because i didn't know we had so many freaking cool damn monsters here in africa like hell hell bells guys <laughs> but anyways um this cryptid specifically is from ethiopia so without any further ado i give you the buddha and no not the buddha like the little fat guy fat bald guy whose tummy you rub for good luck this Buddha is completely different. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing lucky about it. Um, so, also, this is quite interesting because this is my first cryptid that's 
actually not a full cryptid. And without any further ado again, I was today years old. Yay! Um, so I actually only found out when I started doing my research on the Buddha that this creature is actually more of a man than a beast. So initially when I read it, because like, um, I did a bunch of research before starting the podcast on different animals I'd like to do. And yeah, I saw this thing called the Buddha and I was like, oh, that is so dope. Because it says that it's like a were-hyena. So I was like, what the hell? <laughs> that is so, so crazy. So initially I went into this thinking that, okay, cool. We're dealing with like a full-on were-hyena and that a person gets bitten by a cursed hyena. And then they turn into a were-hyena at the full moon. But no, <laughs> no, no, no. It's so much more than that. So there actually are a lot of tales of were-hyena-like hybrid creatures throughout Africa, which I also didn't know about. Like, what the hell? But anyways, um, and I do intend to delve into those guys a little bit deeper. However, today we're going to be focusing particularly on the Buddha. And the Buddha is found in the Amhara tribe of Ethiopia. Now, typically in Ethiopian culture, there are two distinct types of people. So when I say typically in Ethiopian culture, I mean typically in Amhara culture. There are two types of people, and that's the Riga and the Buddha. Now the Riga people come from a lineage of Nisu at Int. So what that means, I'm probably saying that hella wrong, but what Nisu at Int means um, or translates to is clean bone. So those are people without um, shame or without the Buddha curse. So now you can often trace the lineage of the Riga people back to some important figure who possessed a great deal of wealth. Um, they are also known by the villagers around them and they're known to their families and they're known to their friends. So everybody in the village or their close proximity knows who they are. Now the Buddha people are actually outsiders. So they're almost kind of like a gypsy folk if you know if you like. So Basically, they're born into a lower-class family on either their mother or their father's side. So you can become a Buddha on either side. It doesn't matter. Um, and unfortunately, the Buddha status cannot be avoided. Furthermore, the Buddha is possessed by the evil eye. So, time for another I Was Today Years Old. Yay! <laughs> so I was today years old once again. When I found out that the evil eye wasn't just a Greek thing. Like, is that just me? Am I the only person that ever thought that the evil eye was just Greek? So my whole life, I honestly thought that the evil eye came from Greece. But now, in doing this research, I found out that it's actually like the evil eye has got a foot all over the damn world. And in, no like in, in Ethiopia, no hole, you know? Who would have thought? Not me. Like, that's for damn sure. <laughs> If you had said to me there's an evil eye in Ethiopia, I would have been like, mm, yeah. So this kind of fascinated me because now, like, initially I always just thought of the evil eye as the Greek little blue, you know, the, the um, what do you call that, man? That, like, little blue stone thing that people wear. So I always just thought it was that. But now, after reading this, I'm like, that thing is like Sauron or something. Because this is insane. But anyways, guys, this is going to be... Um, a relatively long episode, so longer than we usually do, because I was just so freaking excited about this guy. So, 
without further ado, let's get into how to see a Buddha. Um, so initially, <laughs> as luck would have it, a Buddha is actually really difficult to tell apart from a normal Amhara person. However, there are a few traits that may set a Buddha aside. A sight? No. That may set a Buddha aside from a Riga. So first off, if a person is unnaturally thin. So Buddha people are thought to be much thinner than the Riga since their blood is believed to be thinner. So I don't know. Like, <laughs> Do they look a little bit, you know, like dehydrated? <laughs> I don't know. But anyways... The second thing you can look out for is in a person's eyes. So a Buddha may have an eye deformity of some sort or they may suffer from discharge of either tears or pus from their eyes. Isn't that delicious? <laughs> um, also, you can pick up a Buddha by how it looks at you. So generally, a, a Buddha, when they're not attacking you, will tend to look like give you sideways glances as opposed to looking at you head on. Um, another thing that you can discern a Buddha by is their skin. Uh, Buddhas are said to be lighter and have a lighter skin tone than others around them. And finally, another way, <laughs> I don't know how you're going to get to this, but another way to eye out a Buddha is through their spit. So um, it is, this one isn't wholeheartedly believed by the whole Amhara people, but sometimes it's believed that the Buddha will have an ash-like substance in their mouths, which prohibits them from spitting. Um, so those are a few ways to spot a Buddha. However, the best way to suss out a Buddha is by noting whether or not they are newcomers to the community and what line of work they are in. So it is said that Buddhas are usually trade people. Notably, they are akin to blacksmiths, weavers and pot makers. The Amhara people say that they are unable to learn the art of weaving like a Buddha. And also it's said that um, a Buddha person, the things that they create are absolutely beautiful and second to none. Like nobody can create uh, like, you know, a tapestry as beautiful as a Buddha or a pot as beautiful as a Buddha or whatever the blacksmith is making out of iron. You know, no one can make it like a Buddha. And apparently you get good stock out of them, you know. <laughs> There's an upside to a wear hyena in your community. <laughs> However, the Buddha aren't actually evil. Um, they aren't all evil. Like, so it's not in their nature to be completely evil. There's a small part of them that is evil. And um, they are actually very much like an everyday person. So as long as their relationship is kept at a superficial level, the Buddha and Riga people can coexist in an amicable manner. However, once the evil eye strikes, all hell breaks loose. And I mean that in every fracking sense of the word, people. All hell's, hell's, all hell will break loose on you <laughs> if you upset a Buddha. Okay, so now that we know what to look for in terms of a Buddha... Who is at risk? So who should be looking for the Buddha that can't be discerned from a normal person? <laughs> First off, good-looking people. So if you're pretty or if you're handsome, sorry for you, you are a Buddha's prey. Next, good-looking children. And that's sad. Shame. Kids can't help if they're good-looking or not. Well, neither can adults, but I mean, you know what I'm saying. 
the third kind of person that needs to be wary of a Buddha attack is a wealthy person. Um, the fourth kind of person is a weak person. So this can be either a mentally weak person or a physically weak person. So, and when I say mentally weak, I mean someone who's like rife with worry or anxiety or stress. So me <laughs> or um, an ill person. So like someone who is actually physically ill. Uh, Where am I? So yeah, basically, if you um, if you're nervous or anxious, the aim of the game is to act completely fine around a Buddha because the minute it suspects you of being weak, it's gonna attack you. So um, the fifth person who is partial to a Buddha attacking is anybody who mentions the Buddha name, especially at night. So, like I'm doing right now. So, as I understand it, it's kind of like a Beetlejuice situation where, you know, when you say his name, it will aggravate the Buddha and then it will cause him to attack and eat a family member of the one who utters his name. Sorry, fam, I absolutely love you. <laughs> I hope a way hyena isn't coming for anyone tonight. Okay, next we're going to get into how the Buddha actually attacks its victims. And this is where things get whack, guys. Now, I'm not saying that for dramatic effect. I'm saying that legitimately this just gets weird. Like, this story goes from like, ba-ba, 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 to just craziness. So, <laughs> strap in and get ready for the Buddha attacks. Um, so, there are four uh, key ways in which the Buddha will attack a person. And this is super interesting because, wait for it, ba-ba-da-da. You don't necessarily need to be alive to be preyed on by the Buddha. Just let that sink in. You do not have to be alive to be the victim of a Buddha. <laughs> I bet that's got your mind running, hasn't it? But anyways, a common trait of the Buddha is actually to be a grave robber. It's like their whole main goal in life. So often if a Buddha has uh, set its sights on a victim and the victim falls ill, the Buddha will then just patiently wait to see what happens. And if the person recovers and is healthy once again, the Buddha will then attack the healthy person. If the person pegs from being ill, the Buddha will then do its Buddha thing when the corpse has been buried. <laughs> so guys, get ready for the zombie portion of the evening. Um, yeah, I'm super excited. I don't know why. I, I sound so crazy, but <laughs> it really is exciting. Okay, so getting into the four attacks of a Buddha. First off, we've got the hyena. So one of the most notable attacks, and this is where the affiliation and confusion for poor little Abby came in with the where hyena situation, because it's nothing of the sort. <laughs> but anyways, um... The most notable attacks is when a Buddha chooses to transform into a hyena. So this is generally done in the shade of night, you know, or night's dark curtain when nobody can see it. And it's done so to conceal the Buddha's identity. So it will transform into the hyena so the victim won't be able to identify them as a human. Now, once the Buddha has decided upon a victim, the Buddha will go into its home strip his body of hair, 
or her body, guys, just so you know, the Buddha can be a girl too. It's not just a male-dominated field. The Buddha is a boy and a girl. But just for simplicity's sake, I refer to my Buddha as a him. <laughs> okay, so the Buddha goes into his home. But yeah, so he strips his whole body of hair. I don't know if he does that by shaving or waxing or what the deal is. But anyways, once that's done, he then rolls around in the ashes of the hearth in his home. Now... I'm sure you're waiting with bated breath for the gory, ripping limb-from-limb attack by the huge canine beast. But no. So once the Buddha finds his victim, and now he's in hyena form because he shaved himself and rolled in ashes, all that he does is he fixes an evil gaze upon him or her. With that, the Buddha returns home, rolls in the ashes once more, and then this will transform him back into a human. And then he sits and he waits. He just sits and he waits in anticipation, waiting for this poor Oakal girl to die. <laughs> so that is attack numero uno. Okay, the next attack we've got is what I have named cleverly. I will give myself props for that. The noose. So the next way in which a Buddha will attack a person is through the use of a certain route. So now I couldn't find the life. The life? No. <laughs> I couldn't, for the life of me, find the name of this damn plant that the Buddha takes the root from. But, you know, maybe it's just as well. Maybe there's like a Buddha in training that wants to get the name of this root. Who knows? Anyways, just know that it's a plant root. So the Buddha will once more go out on a little scouting victim... Um, scouting victim, he'll go out on a scouting session to scout his victim. And then once he's decided on his victim, he will then slowly make a loop with the root of the plant, forming an almost knot. So personally, I picture this to be like a noose. <laughs> okay. So then once he's started this, um, the Buddha will slowly draw the knot smaller so you'll pull it slowly 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 until he completely closes the loop and as he does this the victim begins to die now obviously once he's closed the loop the victim is dead shame sorry guys but so once the victim has been buried the buddha will then visit the graveside squat alongside it and slowly loosen the knot once more so while he does this I don't know, apparently squatting is a real thing. So like they've got quads for days as well. But whilst the Buddha is loosening the knot next to the grave, he will shout at the dead to arise. Now, this will cause the corpse of the deceased to rise. Once it is risen, the knot is drawn tight once more to close the grave. So now the third way in which a Buddha gets its victim is the pancake. So this is a bit bizarro, guys, so just hang tight. But the Buddha, um, once again, will kill off their victim by issuing an evil glance at him or her. And once the person is buried, the Buddha will then venture to their grave with two round, thin, lentil pancake breads in hand. So now, this part that I'm about to tell you is super important, and that's the way in which the pancakes are presented so one of the pancakes must be lying flat whilst the other one is folded over twice so once the buddha arrives at the grave 
he unfolds the folded pancake, causing the grave to open. And once the grave is opened, then the corpse is exhumed. To close up the grave once more, he will then fold the flat pancake. Okay, now we're at the final attack of the Buddha. So luckily there's only four things to watch out for, really. But the final one is um, one of carnal nature. So in short, if a beautiful Buddha woman or strikingly handsome Buddha man arrives in town, you are literally screwed in more than one way. <laughs> oh, I like that joke. Good job, Amy. So a Buddha will court their victim, drawing them ever closer to them. The Buddha will then feed, and I put this in inverted commas, because they don't actually ever eat a person. So they feed off their lover. And how they do this is the eye of the Buddha, the evil eye, will suck the blood out of their victim, causing them to grow thinner, weaker, and more susceptible to the Buddha's attacks. So you see what I'm saying? Like the zombie and the vampire and the werewolf and the everything is in the story. Now we know the, the four various attack methods. However, when you are being attacked by a Buddha, death is literally the least of your worries. So... <laughs> Hang on to your pants, hang on to your brookies, because we're about to get for reals now, guys. So what is the deal with the Buddha and the dead? <laughs> I bet you're all wondering that. Like, what is their fascination with digging up a person from their grave? So basically, the whole aim of the game of being a Buddha is to raise the dead. So it's literally their main goal in life. So why they do this is because once they've raised the dead, they turn them into zombie slaves. Like, what the actual frack? But anyway, so, um, remember all the attacks we, aspo we spoke about? <laughs> remember all the attacks we spoke about, which end up killing a person? The Buddha will then take the corpse back to their home, where he, she, it, or they will perform a ritual to reincarnate the corpse. The corpse is then officially the slave of the Buddha. Now, um, it's not said or told what the slave is expected to do. You know, I don't know if they just expect it to, to do household chores or whether they expect it to do full-on magic rituals with the Buddha. I don't know. They didn't say, so I was just like, okay, cool, they're a Buddha slave. The end of story. But it's not the end of story because unlike its human form, the corpse cannot make a single sound. They are, however, known to silently weep in anguish, and one can see streams of tears flooding their face at any given time. That is, if you see them in human form at all. Like, that part just makes me so sad. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> now, okay, I bet you're wondering, what if the Buddha gets, like, a house guest? Because I'm pretty sure a family member of... Like a dead person would get quite a skrik if or a, a fright if they walked into the house of this oak and then there they see their daughter or their son or whatever <laughs> reincarnated just with floods of tears streaming down his face and unable to speak. Okay, so obviously, as we've discussed, that will throw a huge spanner into the Buddha's works. However, all Buddhas are known to possess two switches. Now, for those of you who don't know, a switch is a wooden rod. So it can be a light switch, click, click, or it can be a wooden rod. So now when touched with the first switch, 
the zombie slave will transform into a pot. Then, once the guest has left the Buddha's home, the Buddha uses the second switch to give the pot a tap, transforming it into the zombie slave once more. Now, in all honesty, guys, everything that I've said here, it really just sounds pretty grim for the poor victim. However, there is, <laughs> if you want to call it that, there is a bright side to this story. So the Buddha slave will only be in servitude for seven years. So once that time has passed, their body becomes to um, becomes their body begins to slowly decay, breaking down into ash. So that kind of just made me think of that ashes to ashes saying but yeah hell that's like that's a really grim way to go if you ask me but anyways fear not guys because there are ways to overcome a buddha attack so this tale just keeps on going from like the bizarre to the weird to the absolutely what the hell just happened <laughs> and it's not gonna stop guys because if you thought that the attacks were grim this is just even weirder so I actually feel sorry for people who are suspected to be victims of a Buddha. <laughs> and you're going to find out why. Because um, solutions to dealing with a Buddha encounter are actually just trippy AF. And I'm just going to put it like that. So, first off, as we know, relations with a Buddha are really advised against. Like strongly, ultimately advised against. Like anybody in the village except the damn Buddha. Like... The classic, but I can change him. It's not going to work. You're not going to change no Buddha. Mm -mm. <laughs> so if a priest suspects you to... Oh, that's one thing that I haven't mentioned yet. Apparently the Ethiopian people are um, quite Christian in faith. So the Amhara people do follow um, like a, a line of Christianity. But anyway, so if a priest of the town suspects you to be eyeing out a sexy Buddha... He will make you crawl to church and back home on your hands and knees for seven days. Just think about that. Like, that's sore. <laughs> I cannot picture that being fun or comfortable or anything. But, you know, that's the whole point of this exercise. Because this is done in the hopes of frustrating the rigor out of love. Next up. If a parent is scared that their child may be under attack by a Buddha, then they, under the consult of a Dabtara, and a Dabtara apparently is like um, also a clergyman, but it's not as high up as a priest. So under the counsel of a Dabtara, they can begin referring to their child in the opposite gender of the child's actual sex. So if you've got a little girl, you start calling her him. You know, you'll call your little girl a him or a boy or a whatever he um and same goes for the boy another way to help your child out is to give them a really really awful haircut <laughs> so <laughs> the little boy's heads are shaved all but the section of hair that grows over the fontanelle so if you don't know what the fontanelle section is it's the little section of your head it's just above your forehead and it's kind of like the soft part on a baby's head. When, you know, like when the baby's born and they've still got that little soft part of their skull, that's where the fontanelle is. Um, now I've lost my place telling you about the fontanelle and tapping on my head. Okay, so that's what the little boy looks like. So <laughs> he's sh sh I'm just picturing shame, a little boy with 
this ball of hair on his head. <laughs> and the little girl isn't much better. So a little girl is shaved, her hair is cut in a ring around her head, almost like a bald monk. <laughs> so <laughs> this poor little girl is left with a ring around her head and a bald spot <laughs> in the middle. So this is said to ward off minor attacks of lice from the Buddha. And this just makes me think maybe the child just has normal everyday lice, not Buddha lice. But if the Buddha attack is a little bit more serious on your child, the Riga parent can offer their child a short-term protection by lightly but rapidly spitting into the child's face. The Riga parent will also use the common prayer, let God protect you from the evil eye. Like, sis man, if my mom had to rapidly spit in my face, I would have a few words to share with her. <laughs> and they wouldn't be, let God protect me from the evil eye. Now, as an adult... In order to protect yourself from the Buddha, one should basically have no friends and just keep to themselves. So be a recluse. Done. And you are not in danger of a Buddha attack. <laughs> so the only people you should really share your true self with are those closest to you. And by that, the Amhara mean that, you know, like your, your close family and your close, close, close friends. So the Amhara fear that by laughing and being open in a stranger's company, you are making yourself vulnerable to the attack of the evil eye. Another common way to protect yourself is to conceal your face, particularly your mouth and your nose area behind a cloak. So now, if you have done all these things, but somehow, shame, you've still managed to be attacked by a Buddha, there's treatment. So you don't have to worry once again. You know, this is the second step to, like, just helping you through the Buddha attack. <laughs> but, yeah, this is this is the really naff part. So just brace yourselves. So there are a few treatment options on the block for people suspected of being the victim of a Buddha. If the family of the attacked is poor, they will take the victim to their local church and enlist the help of a Dabtara. Remember, the Dabtara is the one who helps you guides you through changing your child's gender situation. So the Dabtara will perform a blessing over holy water, which the victim, the victim of the Buddha will then drink. The victim is then made to inhale the smoke of a burning root. Okay, the next uh, treatment is for the more wealthy families. However, it seems that really honestly... Hand on my heart, it seems like the short end of the treatment stick as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> if I was rich in Ethiopia and I was a victim of a Buddha, I would be like, stick this wealthy man treatment. I'm going to my auntie or something because this sucks. So the victim is taken to a witch doctor and not a good witch doctor, not like a good Sangoma or something like that. This this witch doctor enlists the help of the devil. So he's a bad guy. Um but anyway, so the victim is taken to a witch doctor who will then place a silver bracelet on his or her left wrist. The witch doctor will then go into a trance-like state, seeking to be possessed by some demonic spirit or another. The spirit will then offer the appropriate cure for the inflicted. However, it doesn't stop there. And this is where things just get really... <laughs> really really messed up on another damn level so in order to seek out the buddha 
the witch doctor will then place a blade into a fire. Once the end is glowing hot, he will take the blade out of the fire and press it onto the victim's face, causing their face to scar in a certain pattern. Is that not the short end of the damn stick? So this pattern will then too arise on the face of the attacker or the Buddha, allowing the family to single out the Buddha who attacked their loved one. Okay, now the third method of treatment involves neither a priest nor a witch doctor, but rather the help of a family elder. And I know earlier I said when I was talking about the short end of the stick that I'd call my auntie, I actually, I'd take that back. In, in terms of where I would go for my treatments, first, I would go to the church and drink holy water. Second, I would go to the witch doctor and have them burn my face. Third, I would have my auntie do this ritual for me because this is just disgusting. So, a noticeable side effect of a Buddha attack is when a person starts biting their lip. When the elder sees this, they will tie a string to the left thumb of the victim. The victim must then breathe in smoke made by a dung fire. Yes, they must breathe in the folk, the folk, the smoke, um, and the fumes of a poo fire. Isn't that lovely? Okay, so then that's not even the worst part, people. Just like hang on to your pants because I'm getting there. So the victim will eventually be able to speak in the voice of his or her attacker, re-encountering the chain of events which led to their attack. The relatives, this is where things get wild. So the relatives will then ask the attacker what they must do to rid their loved one of the curse. And once again, just re-rewarning you because... <laughs> This made me feel a little bit nar or sick for you non-South Africans. The family then, okay, so they ask what to do to get rid of the curse. And then the attacker, through the body of the person who the Buddha is possessing, will demand something nasty be brought forward. And usually the Buddha spirit calls for beer dregs. That's not so bad. Ashes. It's also not so bad. Wouldn't like to eat them though. A dead rat. Or, or, wait for it, this is the worst part, human or animal feces. Now, if you don't know what feces are, it's poop. <laughs> so, okay. Now, this has been brought forward. Don't know what we're going to do with this. The victim will then have to eat whatever has been brought forward. And should they, God willing, cry out, I have left him, I have left my victim. That will be the signal that the Buddha has stopped attacking the person. And then they can go on living their life in the knowledge that they ate poo or a dead rat. <laughs> so now the fourth way is actually a more one-on-one -on -one kind of approach with the Buddha. It's also not lacquer, but guys, I mean, what are you going to do? So once the victim begins acting out, and remember earlier we spoke about one of the signs of a Buddha attack is incessant biting of the lip but other signs that you've been attacked by a buddha is if you start jumping up and down like a crazy person or shouting out incoherent babbles their family must urge them to say the name of their attacker if the victim cannot the family must then tie a rope to the victim and let them lead them to the home of the buddha so i don't know you like <laughs> you're treating this person like a dog like taking your inflicted son or daughter out for a stroll. <laughs> so anyways, if neither of these steps work, 
The family must pay attention to the victim's behavior. If they suddenly burst into tears inexplicably in the presence of someone else, the family will know that that person is the Buddha. The family must then, preferably without his knowledge, take a piece of hair and a piece of clothing from the Buddha. The Buddha is then brought to the bedside of the victim, and this I'm assuming is in his knowledge, because I don't know how you're going to bring him without his knowledge, but anyways, and is then made to spit on and walk over the victim. A fire is then made with the hair and clothing of the Buddha. The victim must then inhale the smoke of the fire until he exclaims that the illness has left his body. And people, in all honesty, I would exclaim that just to get the smell of burning hair out of my nose because that is rough. <laughs> so as I said, being the victim of a Buddha is no freaking walk in the park because the treatments just sound horrific. And if you don't get treated, then you a damn zombie slave for seven years. There's literally no winning in this. So finally, this is just a final little note. If the Buddha succeeded in killing his victim, a family member can take guard of the grave for 40 days and 40 nights, ensuring that the body cannot be exhumed. So um, the reason that the family will do this for that amount of time is because then a significant amount of rot will have begun and the Buddha can't raise a useful slave. So, sorry, where where to you, Buddha? Furthermore, if a Buddha has actually killed a person and the community know who the Buddha is, they may exile or kill the Buddha. It's quite hectic. Okay, so now we know what they do. We know how they attack you. We know how you can treat yourself through various methods of poo. Um, let's get into the origins of the Buddha. According to the Amhara people, the Buddha actually go all the way back to the beginning of creation. So guys, I'm just going to put this out there. I mean, no disrespect to anybody. You know, everybody has their own faith. Everybody's entitled to their own faith, their own beliefs and whatever. But apparently, the Ethiopian Bible is very different to the Bible that I grew up with. <laughs> because I'm going to share the creation story about how God made the Buddha, and you can see for yourself. There was also another section of the crucifixion, actually, with the Buddha, but I didn't talk about that because I was just like, that's weird. Um, so the crucifixion of how the Buddha crucified Jesus, and it's quite hectic. But now I'm, I'm just going to talk about the creation of the Buddha because that's what we're concerned with, not to get into religion. So straight off the bat, Eve, you know, the first woman, Eve, she was said to have 30 children. One day, God said that he would like to meet all of Eve's kids. Eve was suspicious of this. Hence, I'm assuming this took place after she took a bite of the apple. Now, as such, she, desi decided, she decided to present 15 of her 30 children before the Lord. She hid the other 15 in the shadows. This obviously displeased God. And subsequently, he cursed the hidden children to be the demons of earth. Basically, in like what I read, um, God said that these kids are going to be like the devil's doers on earth. Um, now, after some time, a few of the cursed children repented. Taking pity on them, God turned these children into animals such as foxes and jackals. However, 
The children who remained demonic are known to be the ancestors of the Buddha people of today. Okay, so we've literally done a deep dive into the Buddha. Oof, 40 minutes, look at that. Anyways, so now we get to my favorite portion of the episode, and that is what I think the Buddha is. So, <laughs> this is definitely a, a, like a difficult one for me, guys, because never, ever have I ever had to try and decide what I think a were-hyena, shapeshifter, zombie, slave, master, vampire could actually be, you know? <laughs> Even just saying that, I'm like, what the hell? Maybe it's a really disturbed person. Don't know. But, okay, look, hyenas are super eerie. I'm not going to you know dabble around that at all they freaking weird creatures and honestly i would happily state that a buddha is just a hyena that people were scared of or a pack of hyenas you know like the tradition went back for centuries however the fact that the buddha doesn't actually attack a person physically is where the issue comes in for me because if you are the victim of a hyena i promise you right now it's not gonna stare you to death <laughs> Um, no, these things are vicious. And I know this, although I was like, <laughs> not stared to death, obviously, because I'm still alive. But uh, me and my family went on a camping trip to Botswana. I can't remember when, it was a few years ago. I think I was like 22, so like eight years ago. But anyways, I woke up at about four in the morning and I was like, hmm, I need to pee. And so obviously the ablutions block was somewhere else I had to walk to the loo and I <laughs> opened my tent I unzipped my tent I flashed my torch you know outside the tent and then I just see like this pack of eyes staring back at me and I tell you there was nothing eerier ever in my life to happen and it was a pack of hyenas walking through the park because where we stayed we camped through various national parks of Botswana and so it's literally you and the animals there's no like fence there's no wires there's nothing so if those things want to eat you they're going to eat you but anyway so like I, I, I shine my torch out and these things just stop and they stare and then as soon as I move my torch off of them they turn and they carry on walking shine the torch back on them they stop and they stare and they stare at you and I swear to god these creatures it's like they look into your freaking soul and oh it just gave me heebie-jeebies but yeah the fact of the matter is I didn't go to the loo. <laughs> I, I swear to God, I sat in my tent until the sun came up and I was like, hmm, <laughs> not going out ever again. Okay, but so I'm just saying, even though I felt like I was going to die in that second, I didn't die from a hyena's death. And basically, if a hyena attacks you, you, are you, you know, you'll know all about it. Basically, you, there'll be none of you left because those things are brutal. So that's out. So honestly, um, I believe that this is really, really like a healthy, healthy folklore and superstition that's come into play over years. Um, I also think it's a tale of precaution to protect their people. So, you know, protect people from um, outsiders coming into their town and, you know, trying to do ill will to them or anything. In the same right, though, I do think it's very, like, judgy in the way that they just shun outsiders. Like, as soon as someone new comes, they're like, ah, you're a Buddha. <laughs> or if someone new who's friendly comes, you know, God forbid, 
If I went there, I'd be a Buddha, apparently. But so, do I believe Buddhas exist? Honestly, who knows? Like, I've said the name enough tonight to rustle one up. So, <laughs> I'll tell you all tomorrow if someone I know got looked to death by a hyena thing. <laughs> God forbid. Touch wood, that's not going to happen. But um, I definitely think that there's a healthy place in the world for mystery and magic. And perhaps the Buddha is just that. So guys, like always, this has been absolutely fun. And if you want to get in touch with me, perhaps wish me happy birthday because that's a nice thing to do. <laughs> you can reach out to me on Instagram, which is meet underscore my underscore monsters. Hit me up on Twitter, which is meet monsters. Um, send me a message on Facebook, which is meet my monsters. Uh, you can go to my website, which is meetmymonsters.com. And finally, you can send me an email to my Gmail address, which is meetmymonsterspoddy, P-O-D-D-Y, at gmail.com. Anyways, it's been a hoot in a hole, and I hope you loved one of my favorite cryptids. But that's me, and peace out, and bye! <laughs>